0: Hello, I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge of the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the ICBF bending screen now available for farmers to indicate their cow bend, I spoke to Patrick Owen, Chagas Dairy Specialist, on options to address issues on farms where bending may impact. Bending means that cows producing less than 4,500 kilos of milk will drop from 89 kgs of in per cow to 80 and be classified as bend 1. Band two will see cows supplying greater than 4,500 kilos but less than 6,500 kilos increase from 89 kg of nitrogen to 92 kgs of nitrogen per head, while band three will see cows that are producing greater than 6,500 kilos of milk annually be classified as producing 106 kgs of nitrogen per head per year. These changes may or may not impact on farms, so it is important that everybody establishes their position before making any decisions in relation to banding. I started by asking Patrick, what options are available to farmers to alleviate the impacts of bending if it is going to have an effect on their farm?
1: Look, every farm will be different and every farm will have different things that will work for them and other things that may not. But we have a list of things here that we can just talk through that are maybe applied to a lot of farmers. I suppose in the first thing to start with is every hectare will have a nitrogen allowance, whether it's at the 250 or the 220. So it's the total farm area. Multiply by your nitrogen allowance, and that will dictate your total organic end that you can carry on your farm. And everything you do then is, is how you impact on that total organic end, which will allow you to carry your less and more stock. So it's about me the f- first thing I would say it's about being efficient with the allowance you have, and then looking at things beyond that, I suppose, is somewhere to start. And if we look at then, Stuart, um, I suppose the number of options to impact that total allowance is you can. The simplest one to probably to account for is lease or buy or rent extra land. So you have extra hectares, which then therefore has more a uh, higher allowance or similar allowance, but you have more hectares. So you're allowed to carry additional livestock units overall.
0: So you have a dilution effect, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it just brings you. So you had 40 hectares at, say, multiplied by 220, it's 8,800 kilos of organic end. Obviously, if you go up to 50 hectares, then the total organic gain on the farm. It will be higher. Um, so that will allow you to carry additional stock if, if you're required. Um, so, and we'll come back to that there when we whether, how, whether we should be getting the land or not, or is that the first place to start it? Another one that potentially has been used in the past and um, is to export slurry. So, basically, obviously, when you're exporting slurry, you're um, taking some of the organic in produced on your farm and exporting or giving it to across to another farm that'll reduce the amount of organic in on your farm. So that'll um, l- allow you to retain some of the organic in for um, your existing stock. I suppose the one thing I would say about uh, exporting slurry is in reality, it can be, you know, every farmer now above 130 kilos of organic in will be in a neutral management plan with soil samples. So the likelihood of them being able to take in slurry is reduced. But the other thing in reality is, do you really want to be giving away your slurry? Now today's prices give or take a thousand gallons of slurry is worth about 55 euros. So if you are exporting slurry, you're just basically taking P and K off your farm. Uh, If you continue to do that over the years, obviously you'll have a P and K deficiency and that'll have to be brought back in with chemical fertilizer. So while look for maybe some people thinking around the edges or different scenarios, maybe if there's someone contract growing crops for you and you're giving the slurry to them um, and you were bringing it back into silage, but in the majority of cases, you shouldn't actually be giving away your story because it has a, a P and K balancing figure on your own farm that could be a cost you money in the long term to replace. Uh, and if you don't replace it, then you'll have impacts on the amount of grass you can
0: grow. And Patrick, I suppose the important point in relation to that, like where you said, where people are maybe contract growing crops or what they have an arrangement in place for silage or whatever that ground needs to be soil tested this year to ensure that that export can take place. And actually that needs to be done sooner rather than later, because you need to know if you're going to be in a position to actually export the slurry quantity that you need to, to that ground.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that that has changed is that the concentration of nitrogen in a thousand gallons of slurry or a cube of slurry is now halved. Um, so what you s- exported last year, you have to export twice the volume uh, this year or, Counter that is the person taking it in will have to take in twice the volume. So the export and slurry one is there's an economic cost to yourself, and it's just trickier to organise. So uh, I'd see it has been a very limited option.
0: Yeah. Okay. So look, that's uh, that's one of the options. So there's a couple of other options that we people are looking at. I suppose the big one that people are talking about maybe or the two big ones that people probably talk about are the the reduction in cow numbers and the extra lend. Do you want to pick on them uh, or do you want to go down the contract rearing route now and first?
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll look, we'll, I think we'll, we'll just tip off the, the contract rearing and then I think the extra land and reduced cow numbers are kind of linked. So we'll, we'll pull through them then if that's OK.
0: Very good. So contract rearing, obviously, it's been something I'd might work on uh, back late last in the autumn of last year, talking about the options that it does uh, give to dairy farmers in terms of labour requirements and simplifying the system. But now we see it coming into the coming to the fore as a potential nitrates solution option also.
1: Yeah. So look, look, there's the, the benefits that were always there for contract earners are still there. So it the reduces labor, you know, you only have cows on the farm, all the things we know, there's all the the, the risks are always there, like from biosecurity and actually just sourcing a, a very good rear that's going to do a job. They're always there. But in that now you're also um, have a benefit if you like, that you're exporting, some of your organic gain onto someone else so that's freeing up again your overall allowance for yourself um and i suppose before we get into contract rear i think the first thing you have to look at is a heifer ru or a not a one and one to two produces about 81 kilos of organic gain so for every uh heifer replacement unit you get rid of, you move off farm to a contract rear you're saving 81 kilos of organic gain
0: that's for the zero to one end the one to two just to clarify isn't it
1: yeah, so if you're you calming down, down as calm a two-year-old, uh, yeah. that's George. yeah. So the first thing I think before you get to the contract turn is actually look at your heifers. So the heifers are non-pro- non-producing animals on the farm. So if you're carrying a uh, high proportion of heifers, say 30% of heifers, they're eating into your total allowance. Do you require that amount of he- heifers? Do you need them? Or can you carry a more stable number of heifers? That'll free up some organic in first. And I think that's the first place to look at.
0: That's within your own gate, though.
1: It's in your own gate. Yeah. So I think for everyone, Stuart, you look within your own gate before you look outside the gate. Um, so the other thing then to look at then is just be aware of it, I suppose, um, if you were calving down a two and a half year old, so you're, you have not the one, one to two, and you're calving down then at two and a half, the organic nitrogen requirement for that heifer replacement unit because you're carrying for an extra half year increases to 114 kilos. So again, if you're talking about contract rearing, Rent an extra land and you're calving your heifers at two and a half year old, it's sort of a wasted organic end as such because what one, it's you're keeping animals longer to do the same thing, but also has an impact on profitability as it always did. Um, if there's any heifers being calved a three-year-old, the figure will actually increase to 146 kilos of organic end. So first uh, make sure you're efficient within your own heifer rearing system. They have to be calved at two-year-old, um, and make sure that the number of heifers you're carrying is appropriate to the herd that you want to have. Within that, um, obviously, if you sort them things out first, and then you look at contract rearing. Uh, contract rearing adds a lot of benefits, again, like so you're outsourcing the organic end, as we said, you're outsourcing the labour. Um, you're you you're also um, potentially, if you needed extra slurry capacity on your farm, you're freeing up tank spaces from your own farm because you're utilising the contract rears tanks for that first year. So in the past, with contract rearing, we normally would have moved the heifers off. And we would have carried more cows. So as the heifers went off, additional cows were put into the system um, to utilise the land that the heifers were on. Obviously, within the, the banding and the nitrates, you're not, you can't, you're not increasing cow numbers. It's about retaining cow numbers um, and freeing up the organic end allowance by moving the heifers off farm. So if we look at that then, and the problem with contract and I suppose, uh, Stuart, is that there's so many contracts out there um that there is no price as such it's very much uh, what the deal you do with the contract rear. so you'll hear all, you'll hear of all sorts of prices per head and per day and uh, they're not they're not comparable some people are paying for the feed some people are not some people are taking them in as calves and bring them on um uh, through the, the the weaning stage other people are bringing them in as weaned animals uh some people are well, maybe only doing summer grazing so there's a whole lot of different schemes in it but that's up to yourself and your um contract rear to sit down and work out the figures. I think a dairy farmer needs to look at it too. It's not what they can get away with, it's what they need to pay the contract rear for the contract rear to do a good job. So in reality, the, the, you're, you're using the contract rear's land, so You're, you're hiring the use of his time, his or her time, their land and their facilities. So they'll have to put, get an economic return on all them things.
0: And the classic statement of uh, pay peanuts, get monkeys applies.
1: Yeah, that's probably a better way, a quick way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we look at and we go down and what we're keeping it simple, I suppose uh, the cash cost of rearing a heifer based off EPM data from 2022 is about 1100 euro a heifer. So, that's the actual cash cost of rearing a heifer. Um, and if you, as you scroll back down through that, so for, for a dairy farmer to get from not uh, from a calf to a calf down heifer, it's about 1100 euro. Um, when you go to the contract rearing, you don't save all the costs of the 1,100 euro, you save some of the costs. And the reason being, again, depends on the contract, but like in most most examples, the heifer will land weaned to the contract rear. So the dairy farmer still incurs the cost of rearing the calf. And in most scenarios, the heifer returns to the dairy farmer for the second winter. So the dairy farmer then also has the cost of making silage for the second year so where the savings are made then is through the first summer the first winter and the second summer in most scenarios that the dairy farmer will pay for the ai and the uh in the, and the synchronization protocol so they still incur that cost and they'll also in some scenarios pay the veterinary charge so in that when you're looking back through the costs and depending on the contract rate but if you're paying over 180 a day um, and the heifers were off farm for about 520 days. So, from over the two years, it'll roughly cost a uh, thousand euro um, to the contract rear in that scenario. So, that's paying over 180 a day for every day that the, the heifers are off farm and an average of 520 days. Okay. Or per 100 cows, it's 22,800. So, you'd be paying the contract rear about 22,000 plus or minus
0: haulage, depending where they are. Yeah, that's for your 22% replacement rate for your 100 cow herd
1: about 20% replacement, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now if you look at the savings then as I said from the 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 rearing costs, you will say you don't that's what you pay the contract rear, but there'll be some costs you will save on. And the majority of them then we looked at what you will save is you what we've assumed is that there'll be no saving on fixed costs because you you have to retain the land again because of the nitrates. We're assuming there's no change in labor. And whatever else you owe and things of like that, and you're still utilizing the same amount of ground, so from spreading fertilizer and things like that, all that cost is still incurred. Where you will make savings is on the variable costs. So the variable costs will be coming from the, the cost of growing the grass and the silage for that, that 520 days, and a little bit on the labor as well. Okay? okay. If we roll that back, then what we are saying is potentially you will save about 13,000. It's going to cost you over 20. So there's about that 7,000 of a differential. Extra cost of uh, run uh, the to, to cash costs to go to the contract rear over you rearing them yourselves. Now, that might or 70 euro cow, if you want to put that way, uh, yeah. on additional charge. Yeah, now that might sound dear to me, it's not because for that, you're you're renting someone else's use of someone else's farm, their labor, and their facilities. So it's a lot cheaper than any uh, potential lease you could purchase yourself. It also has significant impact from a labour point of view on your own farm. And it also de-stresses the, the facilities on your own farm as well, so that maybe you don't have to invest as well. So to me, of all the options out there, contract rearing is nearly one of the better ones. But I do think we have to pay the contract rearing, as you have already said about the, the peanuts and things.
0: <laughs> yeah, moving on from that then. So Patrick will say, like, as you said, you're basically saying there that there's 7,000 of, of a swing in it. And I'd say if you ask any farmer at this stage of the year when they're in their hoi- in the height of calving and so forth, they would be willing to spend that money on extra labour uh, at this stage of the year, potentially over the February, March, April period, in order to try and make things a bit easier for themselves or to make, to just get through the work. So it's actually really almost inconsequential in the overall scheme of things.
1: I think, yeah, look, well, we'd have when you, it's, it's hard to put an economic value on the labor saving as such. Yeah. Uh, let it be no cash equivalents, but gets people out of the yard a bit earlier, whatever it is, that's worth something. Um, as I said, if, you, if you're if you in a deficit of slurry capacity and this saves you, putting in slurry storage, there's a saving there. Um, if you are hoping to stock up and carry additional heifers, but now you're limited on your um, allowances through the nitrates, Using you actually can use the contract rears allowances as such to allow you to carry up stock if you knew another farm was coming or another piece of land, whatever it is. And then there could be you ha- you should in theory have more time to focus on the cows that are left. Mm. So in theory, there could be scope to improve cow profitability on the balance of the cows. And if you weigh all that up, it will be I'd say it'd be ting a lot in difference.
0: Okay, so I suppose coming to the two most emotive issues, I suppose in, that are on people's minds in relation to bending is the potential to have to reduce cow numbers or the the cost associated with renting extra land and we've all heard some of the eye-watering figures that have been talked about in terms of the land rental that's been paid at the moment like people probably need to sit down and have a, a serious chat with themselves maybe in some cases before they actually go and take this land is that fair to say
1: yeah look uh, and i i, I... I think there's two things, Stuart. I looked at the, the banding and all that is, it, It's in. It's going to be here forevermore as such. Um, this is a conversation you can have with yourself every year or oh, your yeah. advisor. So what doesn't work this year doesn't mean it won't work next year. Um, farms change over time. Profitability changes over time. So I think, this, I think there's a little bit of a, we have to sort all this out this year. You know, maybe the land doesn't come available this year. Maybe it will come next year. And you rerun the figures and do it again. Similarly too, I think there's also a focus. So, if For some farms, it'd be a combination of everything. So maybe they have to get some acres of land at a reasonable price. Maybe they're able to get the heifers off for summer grazing, and maybe they have to reduce a few cows. So look, it's, it's, it's a, that's why there's no answer to any farm. It's a combination of all. But I can see why the land is the simplest. You know, it's very easy to do the maths on it. You go off and you rent, you pay for X amount of land. It can carry X amount of animals. And it's very straightforward, but I think before we go down to to me asking, I suppose the the question I used to or still hate, I suppose, from a an a farmer rings you up, how much can I afford to pay for land? Um, or then how much can I afford to buy the land for there the two? I suppose so. It's that 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 answer comes in how profitable you are already with what you have. So to me, you should never ask how much can I afford to pay for land. Is how much can I afford to pay to make money? Um, you know, so it's easy to give the money away, but it's, you have to have something back there for yourself. So what we look at first, then, when we come into this uh, type of thing, before we get to how many acres should we rent and how many, uh, how much we pay for the acre is we'll have a look at how we're going on using our profit monitor or your accounts uh, with your advisor, how things are going on your own farm. And what we look at then is say, well, what if we are forced to reduce cows for a year? What, what, what is the impact? So. First thing we'd look at is then we'd say as well, right, we'd just say we take a 10% reduction, 10 cows across 100. Um, what, will, what will the impact of that on my farm? So the, where we start is with on the variable costs. So if there's 10 cows less on a 100 cow example, you will be down the variable costs of them cows. So obviously they're not there to AI, you don't have to buy vaccines for them, you don't have to make silage for them. So you're going to save the variable cost of them cows. So that's, and that's, that's I think, straightforward money, enough. Money in the bank as such. Yeah, yeah, but sure. It uh, costs money to keep cows. Everyone tells us that. So if you don't have them, then it shouldn't cost as much. It's very yeah. simple. But the other thing we have to look at then in different scenarios is if you have 10 cows less on a farm, them cows were eating grass or silage in your system. When they're not there, that grass or silage is now available the rest of the herd so if you had a hundred cows utilizing 10 ton of grass you move 10 10 cows off it you still have now 90 cows can utilize the full amount of grass so them cows there's potential there and a saving for the feed budget on the balance of the herd so the herd is left behind so for example if you found yourself over the last number of years that you're it's, it's struggling just to keep the the farm fed maybe you have to buy bits of silage every other year or every year the the meal feeding was at 800, 900 kilos. It's creeped up over time to 1.2, 1.3 uh, ton. Um, it could be an indication that the farm is probably getting to a point where the, you know, it's it's grown what it can grow in for wherever you are and the way the environment is going. Um, and maybe you're gone a little bit over the top. And as you come off uh, the cow numbers, then there's potential to put extra grass across the balance of the cows, which could have will have a saving on the Feed. So if you typically on a 10% reduction um, on a reasonably heavy stock farm, you could potentially save about 0. 0.4 of a ton dry matter on the balance of the cows. So basically you could reduce your meal feed by half a ton because um, that grass is now available
0: and that means and obviously there's a, a potential gain then in terms of performance and and that's another i suppose indicative sign and maybe if um if you're kind of just pushing the envelope a little bit too hard if cows aren't performing to the level that you'd like them to perform in terms of both volume and in particular i suppose fat and protein percentages it's possibly suggestive that you are just going pushing it a little bit too hard
1: yeah i think what's ha i don't i don't think anyone planned to be overstocked steward i think yeah, what's yeah. happened over time is the, the, the there was a planned phase of expansion, as such, um, you got there usually by year three in the business plan. The heifers kept coming. Um, where you planned to be at hundred cows after four or five years, you're at one hundred and forty cows. Not and look, there was probably a bit of scope within the land to grow the grass and things. Um, but at a certain point, then the farm could only grow what it could grow. Uh, your feed budget started to creep and because your cows are stocked at much heavier you, you could see a stagnation on your performance per cow or even a, a, a decrease because the system is creaking a bit and it would um, so to me a sign of that you're slightly overstocked was one is that, that yeah the cows were milking better or not milking anymore because as we pushed up on cow numbers um, number two is if you find yourself exposed to buying particularly purchased forage if you find yourself that you never had to buy silage before or in whatever format, that'd beet or maize or the mix of odds. Um, and now that you nearly have to buy it every year, that's an indication that the farm's got to the point where it's struggling to feed itself. Um, or the the, the classic one is the, the 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 meal feeding creeps up over time. Um they're indications mm-hmm. that that the, the, the it could be a little bit off balance. And as you unwind that a bit, um, there's potential savings to the balance of the herd. So if we look at it from a variable cost, we're down the variable cost of the cows that are gone. Um, we're potential saving to the balance of the herd. So you add them together and that's the saving on your variable costs, total variable costs. Um, we then look at the fixed costs. Um, and in most scenarios, I think there's no change to fixed costs. And by the nature of fixed costs, that's why they're called fixed costs. Once they're there, they're hard to move. So if we look at the fixed cost structures on farm, we can't drop land because, again, that's going against what we want to do with the whole nitrates. I don't think on a 10% reduction of, of, of cows there will be any saving on labor. You could argue small bits around ESP and things like that, but I think we'd be fighting over nothing. So generally speaking, we assume there's no savings across the fixed costs. And all the savings are coming from the variable costs because there's a, a you're destocking a small bit.
0: I suppose just to pick up, I suppose a lot of people are actually after, as you said, nobody's set out their stall to to get themselves overstocked really, but just the national figures in terms of meal fed, notwithstanding the the tricky summers that we've had over the last couple of years, probably since 18 in particular, but there is a a, a real creep in terms of the quantity of meal being fed uh, at farm level, and um, that's probably an indication that a lot of people could do this exercise and and shed a few cows that in effect i suppose what you didn't mention there either as well as the performance of the 10 that you take out there wouldn't isn't going to be the even the average of the herd really if you pick out the right cows i
1: think what uh, what we've got is the cost savings. so obviously if you're down 10 cows you're down revenue yeah um, and what we look at there is then we say i was right now i i, I ignore the, the sale cost of the 10 cows because that's a one off event, if you know what I mean, yeah. so it's not gonna be long term on the thing. So, look, in that year that you sell them, you may have an extra bit of cash, but we don't put into the figures because I think it'd do it does this justice to the whole thing. Um, so you're yeah, you have 10 cows, so then you say, Well, right, obviously, if you're culling cows, you're not gonna take the best ones out. So, the um, look, just looking at the milk requirements and things like that. Like, if the herd is doing 500 kilos, you're looking at your lower performing cows, probably. Excluding maybe the first and second lactation of animals because they're only getting a chance to move into it, there could be a ninety kilo, 80, 90 kilo swing, um, to the bottom of farming ones. Look, obviously the, there's ones that pull themselves, the lame ones and cell camp ones. But um, so if you're doing five hundred kilos, the bottom ten percent, excluding again the younger cows, could be doing say four twenty kilos. Um, look, if you look at your own milk corn reports, there's plenty of reports there that will identify them cows for you. Um, so then what we look at is, okay, we're down 10 cows by four 20 kilos of milk solids. Um, and then you multiply that by the, the budgeted milk price that you want to use. Like, and I suppose that that's, we can, that depends on how much, how far you want to go yourself. Um, we normally use about five fifty kilo of milk solids, somewhere around there, some sort of, we're bringing around a base of 40 something centilitre. Um, I you do the maths on that. And what you'll find is it, it give or take, taking them scenarios, them bottom 10% cows in a slightly overstocked system, you'll save as much as you as you made because you're taking out the worst cows. They're so no worse off. They're no worse off, yeah, because they're, they're, you're you've potentially gone a little bit too far. Now, if you do the figures um and you're not overstocked, uh, you're not importing a lot of feed, um, then the the only real saving you're going to make is then the variable costs of the, the cows that are gone. And if them cows are better performing cows, yeah, then, then obviously you're in a different type scenario. Uh, potentially then you're you're looking at the thing like, I'm going to be down in money here. and uh, I, I need to look at all the options, whether I go to contract rearing route or rent additional land or whatever. But I think we have to look within our own farm gate um, to see how are we doing, I suppose, really before we go mad, uh, pay, paying big money for land. And again, if you destock this year, you can restock next year. And if you like, if you take out them, look, people call them marginal cows, you can call it partial budgeting, you can call it what you want. Um, if you do that over one or two years and you improve your situation, that's why I say you rerun the figures, you will be a more profitable farmer. So that maybe over, if you revisit the thing in two years' time, um, there's a bit of land coming up, whatever, you're probably in a better position to maybe that you are in a position to take it on at that point. So the, the thing keeps moving. Like this is, uh, you'll have plenty of opportunities to fix it. Um, so I think with everything I'm after saying there, I suppose, uh, Stewart is look at yourself first before you look over the ditch.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the other thing, Patrick, I suppose is people shouldn't panic either. Like they just need to sit down, steady themselves. Maybe as you said, look at their own situation, see how they're going. Uh, how are they performing relative to co-op averages and so forth? And and then we'll say maybe discussion group averages. And obviously the herd itself. Um, could they be doing better on what they're doing? And if they could, how could they go do, about doing it? The contract rearing is an option, obviously, as you said, the reduction in the cow numbers is probably the last thing that people want to do. But in one way, it's actually probably the first thing that some people should look at because there are some share of cows on farms that just really don't need to be there. Like, And they're not offering or contributing anything to the party, really. Uh, and I suppose, the, as you said, there, it's, this is a moving feast. 2023 mightn't be the year to go renting the land. Um, but 2024, 2025 might throw up some options that might be a lot better than what you have available to you currently. Uh, so people just need to, as I said, not to panic um, and kind of make a very, I suppose, cold, hard assessment of their own situation and make the, the appropriate decisions that are going to be correct for their farm then in relation to bending.
1: Yeah, um, and look, if you if you do a profit monitor, sit down with... Whether it be look your accountant or uh, an advisor, or whatever, uh, th- th- we have a format there that look uh, the, in, that all the advisors have that, uh, that calculates this thing out relatively fast. It's nearly as quick as the way we were after saying it out there. Um, and the, all I can say then is, you're if you you're making informed decisions around whether you should rent land or not. You can still decide to go rent it, but you're informed on how it will impact on your cost structure. And if you, if at least that the, the exercise in itself is leaving you in a better place, which you understand what's going on in your own farm. And, I, I, I I, and I again, I, I think, Stuart, it could be a bit of everything uh, to get you over the line, and it could be something different next year. Um, I know for long term and things like that, we want to try to plan it out and all that, but there will be options. Um, you know, you might get a contract earlier this year, but you might get one next, a good one next year. Um, so things change over time so and again i think this is nearly you could argue it's potentially part of your annual review or whatever you want to call it your financial review this is the type of thing that you should really do sit down and do every year if the, the nitrates or the bandings never was never yeah. mentioned yeah
0: so i'd say it's a it's a very much about the journey as such as what you're kind of saying so go go on, go on the journey see see where it takes you and it, it'll allow you to decide whether you're to go left or go right really like
1: yeah, um, and higher stock farms, uh, um, as I said, you no know, different in the contract rearing. Maybe pulling that ten. Uh, if you find yourself in that thing where you know the, the feed costs have crept, as we said, um, you you pull back the few cows. You know, maybe it's a row of cows less. Maybe the labour in the yard's a bit happier. Then they're not under as much pressure. Maybe the stress, the sheds are not on, on, um, under um, all the things that the contract rearing did would also be impacted. On this you know you're de-stressing the system, so. The balance of the herd could actually bounce on more than you think, and, and get back to and for some people, it's just getting back to where they were two or three years ago.
0: I think we will leave it at that, Patrick. I think you've given us a very good uh, summation of the options that are there for people. And I suppose, as I said already, there the key thing is that people go on this journey first and make the decisions on what direction they have to take with with information and based on good qual- good quality financial interrogation of their own situation. So thanks for coming on today, Patrick.
1: No problem, Paul sir. Thank
0: you. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Age podcast and my thanks to Patrick Owing for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join me next time for your Dairy Age.